Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. Today we are going up to the Midwest to receive a very, very special guest, a friend of mine, and it's going to be a pleasure to talk with him about more about his career, things that he has done. And next week, we're also going to, do, to talk about some research that he's doing uh, out there. But before we get started, let me go ahead and call Brooke Latek. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Good, good. So let's go ahead and call Dr. Zach Smith. Hello, Zach. How are you? Hey, Pedro. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How, how is the, the summer in South Dakota? It's been hot. It's been dry. <laughs> but we finally got some rain. Uh, and so we're looking forward to the fall. Pretty good. That's great. So, Zach, first of all, I would like to thank you for accepting our request and, and join this call with us. So before uh, we get started, I will start asking a couple of questions that you, you cannot miss. And, and after, I will let you talk about uh, what you want to. So the first, the first question is uh, where you're from and what do you do? Well, this is a good first question, Pedro. And, and uh, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not too short. So uh, I'm Zach Smith. I'm the fifth of six children of Stephen Jan Smith. I come from a really big family. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, raised in Orlando, Florida till eighth grade, moved to West Texas, where I went to high school, met my wife, went to college at Texas Tech, did an MS degree at South Dakota State, and then went back to Tech and did my PhD. So I guess I'm from the South. I'm transplanted to the Northern Plains. And somewhere along the way, I, I ended up uh, dropping the the wakeboard fishing poles and skateboards and moved over to livestock. <laughs> what do I do for a living? Sorry, I get sidetracked yeah. easy. Uh, I'm an assistant professor uh, in animal science at South Dakota State University. And I have a, a, a an appointment that's uh, 70% research and, and 30% teaching. And so I get to spend a lot of my time uh, training graduate students and uh, conducting applied research uh, in feedlot cattle, management and nutrition of confinement-fed cattle in the Northern Plains. Great. That's pretty good, Zach. So now that we know that you grew up in the southern states and moved up to the Midwest, went back to Texas, uh, and you, you're working in South Dakota now. So when... When did you start to work with cattle, with all of this moving? And also, yeah. when, when did you got interested in working uh, with feedlot cattle? Yeah, well, this this is also, uh, it's it's quite, and I, I honestly don't know how I ended up here. Uh, I do remember one time, uh, you know, I always think back, we've all had good mentors, right? And, and we've, mm -hmm. everyone knows uh, the few people uh, that, that, that stick by your side and really help you get through tough times. And, and they're there for you no matter what. And one of those mentors was my MS advisor, Dr. Robbie Pritchard. And, and a lot of people know Dr. Pritchard. And, and one time he told me, Zach, you just got to follow the lightning path. And I said, what, what is he talking about? And he was talking about getting where you're going with uh, the least amount of resistance. And, and I'm, I'm not lazy by any means, uh, but I, I was uh, also uh, motivated to do things, right? So all through college, I did the wool judging team, the meats judging team and livestock judging team. And that's really where I found my friends and it, it's kept me out of trouble. And those were my people. 
Nah. And I wanted to be a meets judging coach so bad. That that's what I was going to do. I was going to be the greatest meets judging coach ever because I had had some good success meets judging. Well, I didn't, you know, I graduated college and it just didn't turn out that I was going to get the opportunity to meet judging coach. I think I needed to mature a little. Uh, and so that was frustrating. Well, my two best friends became meets judging coaches at Tech <laughs> and I, and I just enrolled as a graduate temporary student. Okay. And I'm still hooked up on meat science. And I just remember uh, in class coming up through college, you know, they talk about feedlot nutritionists and it just seemed like this, like, way up there. There's just a few of them, never attainable. They're not ever going to die. And they're really old. That, like, that's <laughs> what I thought. And it's, it certainly is true. We are a very small industry, which is cool. The rule of two or three is so real. I mean, if you know mm -hmm. two people, they know you, they know everybody. And so your yes. behavior, the way you act in public, the things you do and say are very, you got to be professional. Um, so I was thinking, I'll never get into this feedlot deal. And so it uh, turns out I got a call to come visit SDSU. And it was a, a, to become a just a, a TA, essentially, a graduate assistant. And there was no advisor. Well, I came and visited SDSU and I got to Dr. Pritchard's office. And, and well, the rest was is I got to work with them and I had a good time. So I kind of, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked here, Pedro. So no, uh, that, that, that's, that's uh, you why might have to edit this. <laughs> No, no, that's what we want to hear. That's 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 true. I mean, and and if you go back a little bit, why why did you decide oh, to with the cattle? Yeah, okay. No, no, and, and, yeah. and why no, it's fine. And and why did you decide to work with meat science yes. first? Like yes. were you growing up in, in a farm no. or something like that? No, no, like I said, Pedro, I grew up skateboarding and roller skating and skate park, and then we moved to Texas. I got chickens. Uh -huh. And then after I had chickens, I had pigs. And then after I had pigs, I had lambs. And I never, ever actually got cattle. Uh, I didn't mess with cattle until I got to college, uh, just in the judging team. And it wasn't until I got to graduate school that I actually, you know, like went to my first way day or I did fecal or rumen collections or anything like that. So, yeah, it was kind of just a, I would say the foundation of uh, the chickens, the pigs, the sheep getting involved in the FFA livestock judging, those set me up to be ready to go to college and I joined the wool judging team. And then the progression of that was to judge lot meats and livestock. And those are your friends. And then everybody goes and gets a job, I guess. And I wasn't ready to get a job. I knew I wanted to be a meats judging coach. Well, when that didn't work out, I had to find plan B and plan B was South Dakota state. And I had an opportunity to work with Dr. Pritchard relative to meets judging, totally changed the trajectory of my career path. I mean, I joke about it now, but I'd probably be doing meat color, feeding you know, <laughs> someone steaks right now. I, would, I don't think it'd be as much fun as what I get to do now. No, that's that's really nice. I mean, and and it's it's always good to hear. I, I love to hear people's stories here in, in those calls. Like we've had people who were going to medical school and then and right. ended up in the working with cattle. Uh, people who never had experience, and that's oh, that's, yeah. that's good. That shows that we have a huge field, and, and it's open for people to come. Just to show you how much I yo-yoed through, not yo-yoed through life. Like uh, my parents always knew I was either gonna, you know, be able to be a functioning member of society, or I might get in trouble because I just was wired. Like that's what they thought. I was either gonna do good or get in trouble, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, I, I didn't, you know, I'd always like things growing up that I remember that, that probably made a difference. It was like, I was never that good at sports. Like my little brother was a good athlete, but I played sports because being a team member was important. I, yeah. I sucked at little league baseball. I wasn't very good at, you know, basketball or football, but I played every year and it was just to be a part of a team and it was fun. And, you know, via osmosis, if you do something you're not very good at long enough, you get decent. And that's kind of uh, <laughs> what had happened. You know, Pedro, I even at one time I wanted to be a pilot uh, in high school. My best friend, <laughs> he had his pilot's license. And even before that, when we lived in Florida, I'd gone uh, flying at the small airport and I took a few lessons. And by the time I was 16, I was flying and taking lessons to solo. And that's what I was going to do. And it wasn't until I got the club lambs that I was like, took away my time from flying. I really wanted to have a career as a pilot, but I got the lambs and, and it just totally changed everything. Like it was not planned. I mean, this wasn't what I was supposed to do about you know, 15 years ago. So I'm only 30 now. So <laughs> that that's really nice. But one thing that shows is, is for, for me that knows you and, and it's fun. Last week I was talking with your PhD mentor, Dr. Oh, uh, Bradley yeah. Johnson. And he was talking about, I think, how did you meet him that you went to one of his classes and, and, and was a grad student level class and you were an undergrad and you were asking him questions that, Nobody expected. Then you went to the library and studied yeah. a lot and went back to the class. And that shows a lot how dedicated you are in your, in your work. Yeah, you know? but that was a special situation, Pedro. You also got to understand, I was I had actually graduated college the semester before, and I'm this grad tip student. All right. So all these other grad students have legitimate assistantship responsibilities. Uh -huh. And I'm just taking six hours, you know, seven hours of classes. And I do get to go to the library and nerd out. And that really gave me an opportunity. I mean, I read Voight and Voight front to back. So I was walking in with ammo. I was probably more prepared than the average student, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it meant, I'm glad I had that semester because it, it was an opportunity there. Because once after that semester, that's when I moved to South Dakota. And uh, I'd essentially, after having class with Dr. Johnson, he had a, He told me that if I went and did my MS degree, that he would had a spot for me no matter what. So it was a, that was a good feeling. It's always good to know where you're going once you're done. So uh, talking a little bit, I always like, and you've mentioned that a little bit uh, because of your career, but talking a little bit about your moving to South Dakota and work with Dr. Pritchard, I always like to ask people how, How important is a mentor in their career? And how important was Dr. Pritchard in your career? And also, yeah, how, how was that? How, how do you feel about it? And, yeah. and, and how do you approach that with your own students? Yeah, well, uh, I guess from, uh, from the mentors I've had along the way, uh, you know, I had some in the undergraduate level. Uh, I think back, Dr. Jackson, uh, he's one of those professors at Tech that, You know, he taught AS 101, 1401. You'd have him for some uh, eval courses and some capstone courses. And he was the dude that I kind of hooked with, hooked up with, because we both had an interest in sheep. Mm -hmm. uh, past that, uh, moving on, you, you get involved in the, the judging teams. Those, those folks served as mentors. But, you know, my, my first true mentor, the, the person that I 
the, when I think of a mentors, I wanted to emulate this person was Dr. Pritchard. And uh, he had quite a way of training us. Uh, it was, it was, it was never, it was, it was never, the answer was never just given right away. So we always had to do some hunting and I like that. And it really made me grow as a person. And I, the, the, my mentors now, I got the same kind of respect for them as my dad. Like my dad could tell me to jump off a bridge and I'm asking him which one, because I know he loves me and I trust him. And I feel the same way with my mentors. They don't give me bad advice. And when they're honest with me and I think they're being mean and it hurts, I always just think, you know, my parents never spanked me when I was a kid because they didn't love me. So they, or and and I and I and and okay, so 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 as a mentor, you know, your graduate advisors, those are maybe they have a choice because they take you on, but they are whether they like it or not, they're your mentor. There are other mentors that um just I happen to, you know, this whole deal, like we were talking earlier, the rule of three, and if one person knows you, and it's just uh I don't know. I like to think that I don't like to talk to people, but I do like to talk to people about what we do, our work. Uh, and I like my colleagues, but I'm not like really good. Well, I talk to anyone really. So if I watch this, but sometimes I get nervous and I'm and social anxiety and I don't want to talk to people, but, and, and maybe that was a while when I was a little younger before I moved over into my professional life. But I will say that all the judging stuff I did, that did help me get ready to like talk to a lot of people, but it still didn't hide this social anxiety of going and talking to someone that was more important than me. And so I can remember the first time I did that, I was at a feeding quality forum and I went and introduced myself to someone that was a, you know, a, a really important person in the industry. And I just said, hi, I'm Zach Smith. I'm a graduate student at Texas Tech. And I gave him my business card. And then that person ends up coming through Lubbock and get, and calls me, wants to have supper. And that person now has served as a mentor to me throughout, you know, finishing graduate school, finding a job, moving into my career and, and even helping me in my life. And so that was a, an unofficial mentor that I hold just as the same kind of respect as my uh, former formal mentors. Now, when it comes to graduate students, this is unique uh, or, or it's something I'm learning. Uh, you kind of every grad student's different now. OK, we're kind of we're running a machine now between me. and I feels like a machine. You start off with just a few. And now me and Warren collectively between us, we're, we're training seven students and, and we've got a good group of, of some more uh, older PhD students and then some some. Uh, senior and incoming master students. So it's, it's not like they're all incoming students. And, uh, you know, some students, they can really take the pressure. I like putting pressure on students to fill deadlines uh, because really all graduate school, I think, is, is, is I want to control the environment for you to create mistakes. I want you to leave your, uh, al your second aliquot of blood tubes out and ruin them and keep the other ones safe. But think about what, what critical step you missed and why they didn't end back up in the freezer because you never, you never learn anything when smooth sailing I've learned the most in adversity. And so you have different types of students, those that can handle adversity and those that, that can handle it, but need motivation. Mm -hmm. And then, and so I really, I've had to learn now that, that, that what I can do to one, I can't do to the other. 
And what I always tell them when they get, you know, they think I'm riding on them hard or I'm giving them pressure. It's all only because I care about them because I know one's ever, I shouldn't say this, but our job is, is, is there's counters and it's outputs. They want to see me train students and publish papers, but I want to make sure. And, and so I can do that, whether I care about the student or not. And the easiest route to not care about them is to not tell them when they're messing up and help them get better. It's just to let them slide through. And so I always got to remind myself and my students that it's, if I, it's because I think in my mind, it's because I care about them. It's, it's only because I want to hold them at their best work and level. And even I need to be held at that level. I want people to hold me accountable and my students help me there. And I think you, you I'm rambling <laughs> shows who you are and also show how much your mentors did for you. So you want to be like contribute to, to the society. That's, yeah. that's how, at least how I feel. If somebody did that for me, I so want how hard, You know, a, a really difficult master's program that, you know, like you, Pedro, you went through the same thing. It was longer than normal. We did a lot of stuff, but it makes the PhD a cakewalk. You're kind of going in like a colleague at that point and working together. And, and that's why I thought the PhD was so much fun. The master's degree was, am I ever going to get out of here? And the PhD was... <laughs> Was fun. I, I, fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. No, and I, and you you've mentioned a couple of things here that I really like. One is how small is our field, our business, and always to be ready. Like you were in a few yeah. days, something you had a business card. I always talk to yeah. students and say, "Hey, have your business card ready. You never know when you're going to meet somebody." And and how you always have to be prepared. So you met one guy in a random day that you didn't know this person ended up in being a mentor to you. Yeah. Influential so, in my life. Yeah. yeah. So, so we always have to, to be ready for, for those things. And, yeah. and, and you also, you seems like you knew what your weaknesses were and you try to overcome that and like speaking in public and everything. And that goes to, let's say our next question. That's, Uh, you like you you measure work now as researcher and, and teaching, and can you tell us more about your current job and some challenges that you have faced during your career? Like that, you, finishing a PhD, starting a new job. How is that transition? How is that going? Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a challenge for me, and I always like to hear from people. Yeah what they've so, been learning and, and those things. So I, I also got a family, right? Uh, and, and so I've set some, like, the boundaries with the family have always been set. They're like, I don't work after five o'clock. Now, now I might get in the middle of teaching undergrad. Undergrads are different than grad students. The grad students are, they're low maintenance when it comes to teaching a class. Undergrads, they require a little more work in the sense of email correspondence. And so I do find myself, responding to emails but it in essence i won't like sit at the office after five i might take home something that i want to read after everyone goes to bed while i sit and watch the news or something but i try not to work at home or on the weekends so that's that's one thing i've had to do so that is probably i haven't i've done decent on time management to not have to like work a lot of weekends mm -hmm. that's one thing though that when i was a grad student and i didn't have a family man It was just this. All right, I just did this all day. And now I'm having to learn to balance that. One, 
and it's okay. And, and, and it's fun though, because like, I want to go pick my son up at daycare and I want to drop him off. And well, and then, but then, you know, that always happens. Like it becomes October when we got receiving calves in one feedlot yearlings in another feedlot. And then the yearlings come two weeks before the receiving kit, the wean, newly weaned calves. And then the newly weaned calves get weighed two weeks later. So you essentially end up with like <laughs> uh-huh. three weeks of weight, three days of weight. Day, so I don't, take the kid to daycare. So those things, those just happen. So you got to have a supportive family to, to do the job. The hard parts uh, that I noticed early on was, and this is a suggestion, I guess, for anyone or for all grad students, at least, and, and even professionals, I, this is how I manage an incoming uh, information is, is I always go look at the advanced um, access of the journals like mm-hmm. JAS, TAS, Applied Ant, they don't have that, but Livestock Science and any of the preprint, not the preprint, but the advanced access. And so I used, that's how I'd keep up with it. And I still do, I try to. But when I was a grad student, I felt like I could read a lot more. I got to spend a lot more time reading journal articles. Um, and so now part of the job, um, and I like reading about, things that I'm working on. You know, I don't sit and read like, like novels, but I do like reading information about scientific articles about things that, that, that are of interest or, or could be of interest or that are just new to me. And I really, when I got this job, I lost that ability to read every day. And I kind of, for a while lost my way. I, I was felt like I was out of the touch on the information. And then of course you start first, it's the experiments then it's the writing, the manuscripts. Um, but a lot of things that I guess they didn't, that were kind of hangups. And I'm sure you're finding out now, Pedro, and anyone that just started would know this is like, they don't te- teach you how to route a grant or to what indirect is or all these things. And so I, I kind of had to learn that on the fly, uh, built some documents. Uh, but I, I definitely came into a working system. Uh, the feedlot had the bones, the, the, the sheet, all that stuff. So that helped out a lot. I, yeah, I, felt, I felt the same. Uh, we, we don't, in grad school, we don't learn how to do if the paperwork that we have to do. Uh, yeah. I, I at least didn't, but I also felt that I got in a really good environment. That is helping me a lot. But like, you know, I know some people don't like writing and, and I, I'm not like, I don't like love writing, but I do like, getting the information written and in tables and in something so that that I, I like that. So I don't, I, I'm a, I really enjoy technical reports. I, I don't like long flowery reports. And we've talked about mm-hmm. this before, Pedro. And yeah. some people think it's just being lazy, but I just, it's not for it's me. Straight, so. It's sh- like, it's sharing the information that, in a precise yeah. way, let's say. Like yeah, that. I like those types of sharing information that way. And it actually is helpful. I don't know. Y'all do a good job of, of publishing results and summarizing it fastly. And a lot of people do. But the other day, I've even tried now, you know, I got to be patient and wait on the grad students to finish all the data analyses. Although I do it right aside with them. Um, and they need to do the work to learn. Um, but... What, one thing I've learned or been doing lately, and, and I've been sending it to the experiment station director, and he finally was like, why do, you, why do you do this? Like, 
within a couple of weeks of the study. And then I want to have like, a, I call it a three pager with a, a objective or a summary approach results or something. And then I send it to the experiment station director and it's just to get everything on paper because we might not write the manuscript up till a year later or something while it's fresh on our mind. Cause there might be, yeah, dude, there's just so much going on and we keep good notes, but it's also best to do it while it's on your memory. That, that's good. We, we try to do Brooke. Brooke. Brooke does a really good job on that. She Brooke, keeps, you're a machine. She summarizes our stuff pretty, pretty quick. Uh, so second, and just how, just so before we, we wrap up here and, and ask a final questions, how is how is being working in South Dakota? How is the industry now? Can you just share a little bit uh, with us about that and what you've been learning in this new position? Yeah. Well, this is honestly the I think that the, that the South Dakota cattle feeder uh, is 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 unique, uh, and it's not just South Dakota; it's this region, um, and it's definitely not what I grew up around and it's definitely not what, what cattle production is um, down in the desert Southwest. And um, in fact, most uh, this is, this is, uh, this is cool to think about uh, South Dakota um, has really great cattle. Uh, that, so for starters, uh, the feeder cattle are incredible, right? Like the opportunity to go to one ranch and get 300, balling steer calves were born within 60 days and one cut. You can't do that anywhere in the world. I mean, you can in Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, just a few places. And that's really awesome. And, and those make for special cattle that, that we can have a, a lot of fun with. That's my, I, I, that's why I love it here. That's the fun critters to work with as a researcher. Now from what problems that our state has, uh, It's really fun in the sense that, that we are not just cattle feeders. Every cattle feeder in the state of South Dakota and, and many in the region, in the Northern, Plain Re Northern Plains region, are integrated crops and livestock farmers. And so they don't count on just selling row crops to the elevator in town. And they have increased resiliency to, to, to poor crop conditions, right? This year, you know, 10% of the South Dakota corn crop is rated as poor to very poor. All right, that means we're chopping it as corn silage. We're going to have a 41% increase year over year in corn silage. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you don't have cattle, it's really bad because you got a failed corn crop. You're going to have to get cheap feed to your neighbor who does have remnants. And in essence, it's going to be able to market a failed crop uh, through cattle. Now, it's not entirely corn. It's, it's, it's not very good corn silage, but can still grow cattle on stover and a little bit of corn. And so there's all these opportunities this year. So the integrated crop livestock system is really cool. And, and it's, it's challenged me to have to learn new things, you know, where in, in, in Texas, I was, let's just be honest. I was raised like a livestock judge and kid. All right. I didn't know much. I knew what gain was and feed conversion and carcass weight, but I didn't understand You know, systems resiliency and and you know we're gonna we're gonna plant this rye because it's a winter cover crop and it's gonna change workload demands and, and our ability to get a, a 
a, a, a grain crop off to sell maybe to the food market, but we're going to have straw and we can apply manure and then we don't have to do as much work in, in, in October, November with the corn stalks. So that's a really cool part about this part of the world. Whereas where I grew up or down in the South, it's kind of more of a corporate structure. You have a feedlot and in the feedlot, they have a feeds department, animal health, cattle management, right? The different units up here, it's, a father and a son-in-law or a brother and maybe some hired hand from town uh they're feeding cattle and they're farming and and they 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 uh they rely on both of them so we are smaller in scale right uh most of our feedlots very quite a few of them a lot of them are wouldn't even be captured in the census data because they're under a thousand head but they're there and they're important. And so we feed about a half a million head of cattle annually. We export a lot of feeder cattle out of the state. And um, one other thing I was going to think of. Oh, yeah. If you drew a circle around Sioux Falls, Pedro, you've been to Sioux Falls, 150 mile circle. Uh, that it, that would include Northwest Iowa. And I, I've shown you this number yes. before. <laughs> uh, Northwest Iowa's got a lot of cattle. Southeastern, uh, Northwest Iowa, Southwest Minnesota, Northeastern Nebraska, and all of South Dakota. There's like nearly 2 million head of cattle on feed. So it'd be the fourth largest cattle feeding state. So you have a lot of cattle around you. Yeah. And, and that's pretty good. I mean, but, but if y'all did the Imperial Valley relative to <laughs> landmass, y'all would be the largest in the world within miles. Yeah. Probably one of the largest, but that's. That's really cool. I mean, I, I like this. You're probably learning something new every day, something different every day. And that's probably one of the coolest thing of your job. I assume that. And, and Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. You got to learn what you know, corn yield is and how to go from bushels of corn to estimate silage yield and the things that you don't learn in grad school. And, you know, Pedro, y'all probably learn those in Brazil with degrees in agronomy, but here where our discipline is animal sciences, undergraduates, and we don't learn the principles of crop production and agronomy. Yeah. And uh, Yeah. I, I was, I was lucky to be raised in a crop farm. So I have an idea. I won't say that yeah. I know everything, but I have an idea of that. And also when I was in Pennsylvania, we had a lot of diversity in the production system. As, as Pennsylvania as, would be much like South Dakota, Pedro. Yeah. So you, yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Well, at least on this side of the state, because South Dakota is <laughs> definitely a ranching on uh -huh. the west side, and on the east side would be smaller farms, uh, mm -hmm. just not as just not as uh, a very distinct line between our two sides of the state. It's quite interesting. No, that's that's very nice, Zach. Uh, no, so far I've I've been enjoying a lot, and and I think you've you've covered a lot of things. Uh, pretty cool you stuff. You might have I, to do some editing, Pedro, because I'm no, all over the place. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, we're gonna keep keep uh, like that. I, I like that. I like those. That's that's why we do this is to have those random conversations and and we keep this open to to learn yes. cool things. And well, Pedro, you know as good as anyone, I kind of got a squirrel brain sometimes. <laughs> and that's why we have you here is is to to share with that. Uh, you need a list. So so Zach. Uh, Before before we finish, uh, I think we've we, you have mentioned like uh, just just two quick questions before we go to the final questions. Is what is your favorite thing that you have on your current job, and maybe your least favorite thing? Do you have something like that? Yeah, 
Hmm. I'm trying to think. Uh, favorite thing, I don't know. I'm sure y'all feel the same way. Like um, when, you, when you're getting ready to buy cattle or start a new experiment and they're coming in on the trucks, like it makes me feel like I'm, well, Pedro, I played American football. It makes me feel like I'm walking through the tunnel about to take somebody's head, head off. Brooke, if you played volleyball, <laughs> it makes Pedro, you played football, football. But it uh, makes me – I still get this feeling that – and whenever I actually get a manuscript accepted, I feel the same way. It's just this really big joy. And, dude, I live for – I'm feeling it right now just talking about it. I live for those feelings. I, I love getting studies started, and I love seeing the culmination of our work – and then it being able to be shared with other people. Those are the joyful parts of the job. The non-fun parts of the job are preparing for lecture. That I hate making slide points. Uh, that that would be the worst. Part. How how and and you you have mentioned this a couple of times that it like your challenge in communicating. How how do you prepare for that? How do how did you overcome those those challenges? Yeah. Uh, on your own, do you, is there any tip yeah. that you can give to people? Well, Pedro, you, you got to understand, man. I'm not a shy person. I want to think like I'm an uh, <laughs> what's that? I'm I'm a introverted, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. I, I actually like my wife's an introvert. She seriously would like. She wants me and our son. That's about it. Uh, and she she's got a few people and I like want to pretend I don't want to be around a lot of people, but I really do like talking and visiting with people. I had some anxiety of talking. I, all right. So like, if you will, I'm going to use this man because I, I know he probably won't care, but, but, but Dr. Cora, Dr. Larry Cora, he's a big deal. And, and I was the first time I I'd met him, I was too nervous to go up and introduce myself and shake my hand of this legend. Right. And that was stupid of me because he's a great guy. The next time I was around him and I should have because I'd have met him two years sooner. I was in a position to meet him. The time I actually actually introduced myself to him, I believe, was with a colleague of mine that was a grad student of his. And it kind of was the icebreaker. And I didn't have that icebreaker the first time. Well, then I go introduce myself to him. Well, we hit it off right away. We kind of well, we enjoy talking to each other. And so. Don't ever be scared to go talk to that person who thinks like up here because they were probably like you at one. And you and go for it because what's the worst they're going to do is they're going to say they got to go to another meeting or they're busy, you know. Worst case. Best case is you begin email correspondence and it's a person you can communicate with. So don't ever be scared. Totally agree. It, it's, it, it, it's not... People don't always uh, trust me when I say this, but I, I've been a pretty shy person. And, and, and I even joke that when I was in high school, the best uh, work that I had to present in class when I had to talk about Parkinson's disease, it, it's like, and I was shaking like I had. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, yes, I, 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 but and, and those things, like things that we trained on, I think we, we yeah. get used to and we have to, to train and, And what you said is true. I mean, sometimes we are scared of going and talking to people. It's like uh, a good example for me is Dr. Owens and, and even Dr. Zinal. But Dr. Dr. Owens, I was always scared of talking to him. And he's the nicest person ever. He can yeah. like, sit down with him and, and have a great conversation. And, uh, and so, so once, and you, all once us, you learn that. Yes. And, and we're all, you know, all the young aspiring scientists or even, you know, people just getting started 
those people are great resources and, and you can talk to them. I remember one time I was trying to find a, a supplement to the JAS from the 70s. And I ha- still have the paper. Dr. Preston had gave a bunch of DES implants. And I kid you not, Texas Tech, they had every supplement of JAS, but they did not have this 1976 supplement. I, I looked everywhere and I'd looked in the, the archive and the main copy and this wasn't there. And I couldn't find it online, but I didn't go over to the actual library. Okay. So I emailed Dr. Preston. I'd got his email from Dr. Johnson. And he was at the time, you know, he had to be in his 80s. Within a within a half a day, he emailed me. He said he'd got he had a scanned copy from his file cabinet, emailed it to me and told me to, you do know you could use the library. And uh, <laughs> so that <laughs> I said, yeah, I didn't actually go look at the library, but that that email correspondence of emailing him for a paper of his kind of opened up a, where we kept emailing a little back and forth and, and got to have some interactions with him. And then I finally got to meet him at when he was a Legends of Feedlot Nutrition. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, all those little things. So yeah. I, don't, uh, don't be scared of talking to people. That's yeah, that's, that's right. That's no. right. That's that's awesome, Zach. Uh, I think we we are about to to finish. Uh, but now I'm going just to ask uh, three quick questions to to get to know to get to know more about you and, and things that you you like to do. Uh, and my first question is, what is your favorite food? Yeah, man. Unfortunately, there's uh, I love all right. I love Mexican food. My favorite food and. And I really like like street tacos and the really fresh stuff. Uh, that's what I get when I lived in Lubbock. But back home in Sweetwater, my favorite, the best way to to decide if people have good Tex-Mex is with the cheese enchiladas. And I'm a cheese enchilada connoisseur. And I like cheese enchiladas topped with fajita beef uh, to get the steak on there. Uh, so that's probably my favorite food. But at home... Uh, we don't buy steaks at restaurants because I feel like I'm the master steak griller. So our favorite meal at home would be like uh, this time of year would be sweet corn, fresh sweet corn. So good uh, steak with just salt, uh, you know, like a, a top choice ribeye. Uh, my wife likes sirloin and then uh, just all the fixings, watermelon, cantaloupe, pickle, whatever, you know. Good, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Making me hungry right now. It's a couple hours to <laughs> Y'all are just getting to breakfast time <laughs> over in Cali. So what is what is the type of, of uh, song that usually plays in your radio or something that you like to listen when you're traveling? Yes. And stuff? So um, when I'm with my wife, she won't let me listen. When I'm in the car, I listen to talk radio. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bounce around between all the stations and try to stay, you know, fair and balanced. <laughs> I listen to it all. Yeah. Music. I would have to say like college. I really like Texas country, red dirt music. I mean, I'm a nineties baby. I really definitely went through an emo phase. Right. So I like fallout boy and the all American rejects and all that stuff. Uh, but I, I only listen to music when I'm like with my wife, we'll listen to those songs. Otherwise I'm listening to talk radio and at work. I don't, we don't listen to music or, you know, I got colleagues that'll listen to like talk radio, but it's, it's just, distracts <laughs> me, too, me too oh that that's good uh before i got before, a squirrel brain <laughs> before i ask you uh my last question i i just came up with another what what do you like to do in your in your free time you said you 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 bet have been balanced your schedule pretty well so what, yeah. what what is what is your favorite thing to do in your, in your man free time? pedro i don't have a lot of hobbies man 
I wish I did. Uh, I always joke about this. Like my older brothers like to hunt. You know, I like hunting with my family, but I don't. I don't go and like go hunt public land or go duck hunting or do a lot of stuff like that. I don't know. I really like my job. I really like hanging out with my son. That's and, good. Uh, we don't have a lot of hobbies, man. In fact, when me and when me and my wife go do stuff, we just miss being away from our kids. So that's really sad. And there's a new one coming, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we got another one coming. So, like, my hobbies in general would I don't know. Yeah, don't have a lot of hobbies. I wish I did. Uh, no, just one spend day when the, spend time with the family. When the kids get older, I'd like to have 4-H animals. And but me and my wife, I'd say we're. I like eating. I love eating. We're foodies, I guess. <laughs> I love eating good food. That's good. Stinky cheese and charcuterie, and stinky meats, and all that type of stuff. I like. That's nice. So, last but but not least, question, Zach. Uh, what is what is something that you would like to looking back in time that you that you know today that you would like to know maybe 10 years from now, like that you would tell yourself, is there something that you would go back yes. and say, Hey kid, that's, that's what you should do. Yes. I'm actually getting a call from my cattle buyer right now. So <laughs> I'm going to do this fast so that we might have to get off the call. I, he might be okay. He's probably got mm -hmm. some in the celery. We're trying to get some cattle to start an experiment next week, but that's good. how that goes. Uh, if I could look back, man, you know, uh, I just recently had some, a pretty life, not eh, life changing. I live a long ways away from my folks and my mom and dad were in a bad car wreck a couple weeks ago. And that scared the crap out of me, man. Like really, really, really scared me. And I looking back, man, I, I went to grad, I did my PhD about two hours away from my home and I didn't make it home enough. So if I could go back, do my PhD over, I, and now I live a thousand miles away, I'd have gone home Not every weekend, but I wouldn't have gone home just around the holidays. Man, I was I was busy. I thought I was busier than I was. And and now that as I get older and, and I realize this, this is another thing. When you live a long ways away from your folks, Pedro, and you do, and Brooke, you do too, I believe. Um, just the time when they're there is so special. Like you just you sit on the dang couch with them all day. Uh, and then I moved two hours away from them and I can't find the time to even go see them. And I saw my folks more when I lived a thousand miles away than I did when I lived a couple hours away. So looking back now and being that I'm the fifth of six, my folks are older. I wish I'd have spent a little time like that differently, but that's can't do nothing now. They're, they're, they, you know, they raised us all to be adults and they're happy and they're getting older. And what can you do? And I, luckily you learned that. Uh, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. So awesome, Zach. Uh, those are were really, really nice answers. I would like to thank you very much. Uh, and, and just our last, last question. And that's what we call the, the cattle call top tip. Uh, and do you have any book, any paper, anything that you'd like to listen to leave our listeners with? Something. Yeah. Hmm. A, a, uh, a hallmark paper or, or, or something that everyone should read. Uh, there's a couple. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I think there's a, there's a really good paper uh, by Dr. Danny Fox. Uh, and, and it's essentially, it's, it's introducing people to adjustments to the CNES. And it was in a South Dakota cattle feeder report in the seventies. And it's, it's not all the updates to the NACIUM, that we use now, but it is still good, easy read for, for starting out students. That's, 
that's one I, I kind of pass along to all the students when they get here. I think uh, aside from that, just uh, good reading is uh, anything that anything that you want to read more of, right? You can't tell someone to read stuff that's not boring, but if you can't put it down to keep reading it, uh, I guess that's my pro tip. The other pro tip is, yeah, just stay current in the literature. Try to if you if you take a look at what the journals are dropping every day, they might release two or three new journal articles. You're going to know in real time what people are doing. And then you don't have to dig through the journals later. So, And there's only, there's not only, there's a few in our discipline to, to take a look at and keep up with. So that's my suggestion. Not a good pro tip. Maybe in 20 years, I'll have a better pro tip to give. No, no, that's good. That's good. We we are going to make sure that we put the, this this paper from Dr. Fox. And, yeah, I'll, and, send, I'll, I'll send it to you. Awesome. No, that's good. So, Zach, once again, I would like to thank you very much uh, and and thank you for, for joining us. And we, we are going to be talking with you again for, for next week. Yeah. Episode. And, yeah, that's it. So, thank you very much. Thank our listeners. Yeah. Thanks, Brooke and Pedro. And, and yeah, thank you. And I hope you guys enjoyed the call. And don't forget, it's, it's always a good time for a kettle call. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cowboy is singing this lonesome cattle call.